Our reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 29 to 42. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christine. Um, As Kia said, we're starting this morning uh, a new series about the person and work of uh, Jesus Christ, his personality, his character, uh, and his demands. And we're starting, obviously, right at the beginning, but not at his birth. This is the beginning of his earthly ministry, three years of astonishing teaching, uh, preaching, challenge, healing, and so on. And we're at the side of the River Jordan with John the Baptist and Jesus. And we're starting with a great question. Who is this man? Let's just bow our heads and ask for guidance. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning with this extraordinary question, who are you? We ask that you would uh, enlighten our minds and set our hearts on fire with love for you when we know about whom we are speaking. So help us, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, just to put this uh, in context, we'll remember... Uh, Christmas hasn't been too long ago, and hopefully we remember that. 
Um, John the Baptist, born of Zechariah, the priest in the temple, uh, and his wife Elizabeth. Uh, The angel appears to Zechariah uh, and says that uh, your wife is going to have a child, despite her age, uh, and of course he is struck dumb because he questions uh, the angel for uh, the period of the, uh, the pregnancy uh, and then when John is born, his mouth is released and they call this son John. Mary, at the same time, of course, uh, conceives uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, visits Elizabeth, uh, and when Mary appears to Elizabeth, the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Uh, and Elizabeth said, I am so blessed. You carry my Lord which is uh, an interesting phrase. John then, of course, is born uh, and he's set apart for the works of God and he lives in the wilderness. He doesn't engage in traditional uh, religion, but he is set apart and he baptises people to follow the way of the Messiah. And then we have this deputation of priests and Levites. They are uh, the sort of higher and lower strata of the religious leaders in the temple. Uh, And some of them go off and meet John and in verse 19, you may like to have uh, a Bible open in front of you, uh, page 1064. And it's verse 19 and they ask him some questions just to check on his authority. Actually, Verse 19 is uh, the page before, 1063, just before we we started. Uh, And they're sort of running through a checklist here, and they say, so, are you the Christ? And John answers emphatically, no. And you can almost see them, uh, tick. So, are you Elijah? No. Tick. So, are you the prophet? which probably means Moses. No. Tick. So the only option left is that you are a false prophet. And John responds in a completely different way. Because he said, you you know, basically you're asking me these questions. Who are you? This isn't about me. This is about somebody else. And I'm going to read this from uh, the message because uh, it comes across so much better. The very next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and yelled out, Here he is, God's Passover lamb. He forgives the sins of the world. This is the man I've been talking about. The one who comes after me, but is really ahead of me. I knew nothing about who he was, only this that my task has been to get Israel ready to recognise him as the God revealer. That's why I came here baptising with water. I just gave you a good bath. I scrubbed your sins from your life so that you can get a fresh start with God. God, uh, John clinched his witness with this. I watched the spirit like a dove flying down out of the sky, making himself at home in him. I repeat, I know nothing about him except this. The one who authorised me to baptise with water told me, 
the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and stay, this one will baptise with the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what I saw happen. And I'm telling you, there's no question about it, this is the Son of God. Great, I love that. Wow, this is exciting. John the Baptist is making some really clear points here. And and interestingly, of course, this is the way John the Apostle, who's writing this Gospel, uh, this is the very point that he's trying to make. John's Gospel is all about the person of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you who this man is. Who is this man? And there's a theological point, there's a spiritual point, and there's a practical point. The theological bit first, and theology is just talking about God, so it's not, it's not difficult. It, it's, that's all it means. Right, verses 29 and 35, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. And that's, we, we tend to think that's a direct quote from the, the Old Testament, but actually it isn't. It, it's an amalgam of thoughts. The first, probably going right the way back to Genesis 22, when, of course, Abraham goes up the mountain with Isaac to sacrifice him. And just at the point when he's going to sacrifice him, God provides a ram behind in order to be sacrificed instead. And then you go to Leviticus 4, verse 32, where for the forgiveness of sins... Uh, it it is mentioned there that a you is to be sacrificed instead. Then you go on to Isaiah 53, one of the famous servant passages, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And at that point, um, uh, Isaiah says that in order for sins to be forgiven, the lamb is led like a, a slaughter to sacrifice. So this imagery is all bound up together with the Passover, which is why uh, in the message it says, here comes the Passover lamb. If you remember the Passover, it's the lamb is sacrificed and the blood of the lamb is spread on on the doorpost. So when the vengeance of God comes through the land, he misses out those houses. He knows they're set apart, they're marked as believing households and he moves over them and goes to the next house. So here we have Jesus before John. <clears throat> and he's being recognised. And we tend to read the Bible in little bits. And try and work out what it means from that little bit. But actually what we've already seen is this Passover lamb is mentioned throughout the Old Testament. And then we come to the herald of the angels to the shepherds announcing the birth of a Messiah. We come to the Magi who bring these extraordinarily weird gifts for a baby. But they've all got a meaning. And the meaning is the life, the death, the resurrection and the salvation brought by God. The baby who is brought into the temple to Simeon who breaks down in tears and says... I have now seen the Lord my God. To Anna, the prophetess in the temple, who recognised that salvation is in her hands. To Elizabeth, whose baby leaped in her womb because she knew that the child that Mary was to bear was to be her Lord. All of these signs 
all point to exactly the same person. And John the Baptist is saying, it's him. He's standing in front of me. What does he say? Well, verse 29. He says that he has come for the forgiveness of sins, who takes away the sin of the world. Only one person can forgive sins, and that is God. Verse 30, he says that God has come after and before. Jesus, of course, chronologically comes after John the Baptist. But he was there before, because he already was. He already existed. Verse 32, the Spirit comes down on Jesus, uh, and, and John the Apostle particularly wants this in his Gospel, because, of course, the Spirit was known by those people as the Creator. And the Creator of the world is God. And therefore, the Spirit is God. And if the Spirit anoints someone and is in someone, that person is God. And then verse 34, John gives his, his conclusion, I testify that this is the Son of God. Actually, that's in this NIV. What was, what was read was actually the God's chosen one. Same thing. So from the mouth of John the Baptist, the pen of John the Apostle, we're being told that this person, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God, the Messiah. And that's the testimony of John. He's seen the signs. He's heard the voice. His own spirit must have been overwhelmed when he saw Jesus in front of him. And I wonder how often I am overwhelmed when I think about Jesus Christ. Our relationships now, they're very matey, aren't they? You know, even at work, it doesn't matter whether you're the top guy or the bottom guy, it's John and Fred and, you know, Sophie and whatever it is. We're very egalitarian in our approach to people. But this... This is God. And you should get a tingle when we say that. So what about the spiritual? And again, this is, this is a pretty clear message. John says, uh, I love that phrase, I've just come to give you a bath. I've just come to wash you. And I'm washing you on the outside. But that's a, just a symbol of, of what we need to do. Because uh, anyone that's a parent here or, or anyone that's been uh, a little bit naughty for themselves may know that their football kit gets a bit dirty or their, their shorts get a bit grubby or your jeans when you're sliding on the ground, they, they get dirty and you have to wash them. And then what happens the next day? You put them back on and you do exactly the same thing again. That's just on the outside. And John is saying that he might clean you just in the same way that he's having, you're having a bath, but Jesus will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God. And if you are being given the Spirit, you can only be given the Spirit by God. He can change you on the inside, not just on the surface. But of course, to be changed, we need to be involved in the game. You can't look from the sidelines and be changed. 
And I, I find it interesting in that passage, did you notice that the, the religious leaders sent a deputation? No doubt the, the top of the class, the, the hierarchy, stayed back in Jerusalem. But they sent others to go and ask the questions. And as I said, it was a bit like a checklist. Christ? No. Elijah? No. Moses? No. Oh, fine. Not really interested then. Have you ever seen Fake or Fortune uh, on TV with uh, my adorable Fiona Bruce? Um, it, it's a, it, it could be a Monet. The paint looks right. It's crazed in just the right way. You'd know all about this, Peter. It looks right. The colours are right. The brushwork is right. The frame is original. We're really onto something. We'll test the canvas. But the canvas was made in 1950. It's a fake. Oh. And you lose all interest at that moment. It's no longer important to me. We close our minds. And these people, this deputation, close their minds. They ask their question, oh, right. Well, you're not the person we thought you were then. And we close our minds. I'm terrible in my prayer time. I run through a list of questions uh, and I dump it all on God. And Phew, thank goodness that's over. Uh, and I can get back to my, my own daily life. My time is important. And I've downloaded and I've dumped. But I haven't listened. God is amazingly interested in me. And he wants to share stuff with me. The God whose sandals I'm not prepared, I'm not worthy to untie. And sandals were only untied by slaves. So I am lower than the slaves. That God is interested in me. I can't send somebody else to talk to him. I can't send somebody else to have a relationship with him. It's me that he's interested in. This is God. And he's interested in me. So practically speaking, this needs a response. And the two fishermen that we read about from verse 35 on, they, uh, they come to Jesus Christ. They follow him and they find good news. And Andrew, this is brilliant, isn't it? What brotherly love is. Andrew finds uh, the, this person of Jesus Christ and he runs off immediately to get his brother. That's love and evangelism all in one go. It's brilliant. It's so exciting. And what does he say? He doesn't say, I found this really interesting guy. Great. Oh, you'll love it. He said, I found the Messiah. I have found God. And this is so important, I want you to know. We know John the Baptist is a bit of a, a strange man. But the crowds came to meet him in person. But astonishingly, none of this is about him. John is almost incidental in this story. Uh, and as it's written, how much did we read about the baptism of Jesus Christ? 
Because if you look at it again, nothing at all. It just says, he was baptised. That's it. There's no detail. That's not important. What is the key thing here is that we recognise the person of God in our midst and that we respond to him. Do we act as a signpost for Jesus Christ? Who are we? What do we talk about? Those first disciples were going outside their comfort zone. They probably had no idea what they were signing up to, but it was almost unimportant to them. What was important was the person that they had met. And as believers, we are different. We have different views, we have different behaviours once we have met God. So why do we feel the need to conform to how uh, our social standing you know, should have us? How, why should we uh, conform at work when we're different? Why is your view any less important than anyone else's? It should be more important, should it not? Because if you have the perspective of God and you have the wisdom of Christ and you are empowered by his spirit, your voice is vital in this world. So why are we embarrassed? You might look at John and think that he was the bit of film that's left on the cutting room floor. He's odd. But the value of John's testimony is incalculable because he saw for himself and he bears witness to God in the world. God, our Saviour. God who has come for a specific purpose. Jesus Christ, who is God, who loves us, who died for us, and who wants us to respond. I think this is so exciting, this series. I'm so looking forward to it. Already we can see that this is God, who takes away our sins, so that we may be remade, recreated, repurposed in his image and to his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as we just imagine you before us, as John saw you in front of him, we know that this is not about us. This is all about you. Because you are God. Because you have come for us. To show us your love and to take us home. So even now, Lord, we offer ourselves to you. We give ourselves in your service and ask that you would empower us with your spirit in your name. Amen.
We know that without God and without God's Spirit living within us, we are powerless. It is only by 